City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is brought to you by the Fans First Sports Podcast Passport. <laughs> I got so far. You were like it right was there. The last one. You just needed to say the word group. <laughs> so uh, close. 99% of the way. I might just leave it in. <laughs> yeah. just... People will understand. They'll be like, oh, I, I get what he's saying. It was the first time we were doing the new intro to the podcast. So I'm just, I'm just going to leave it in. Uh, right. It should have yeah, said the okay. fans first sports podcast group. Um, <laughs> on today's show, we're going to be covering PJ Washington re-signing. I was on vacation last week. We had a week off. We had technical difficulties earlier in the week. So it's taken us a little bit of time to get here, but we're going to be talking about our thoughts on PJ Washington's return to Charlotte. Then we're also going to be looking at kind of where do the Charlotte Hornets stack up in the East now? Where do, they, where do we think they're going to finish for this upcoming season? So our, our main two topics for today, joining myself, James Pyre, a.k.a. the British Buzz, is my co-host, as usual, Chase Whitney. Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be here after our lengthy uh, internet-induced delays. But, I mean, the, the issues are past us, and now we are only on to talk about the this great, actually pretty big week or week and a half of news of Charlotte Hornets basketball here. Absolutely. It, to me, it feels like July for two reasons. One, because the Hornets made a big contract signing. But two, because there is a heat wave right now in England, and it is 83 degrees in September, which in like Manchester, where I'm from, that's like almost a record and doesn't happen that often. So uh, it, it really does feel like we're in the middle of summer again. But PJ Washington returns to Charlotte. He is uh, earning 15.5 million per year with 500k bonuses if he plays at least 74 games or 
2,400 minutes. Um, and he has a declining contract. So it goes from 16.8 million in his first year to 15.5, and then finishing in 14.2. Chase the Times, did you did you lose faith that this was going to reach here? Did you think we were heading to that qualifying offer signing? Um, what were your reactions when you first saw the news come across Twitter? Well, my initial reaction was just to be extremely excited because, I mean, we, we have gone over this on the podcast before. There are probably very few people in the entire Hornets, like, fan base and media base that like and value PJ's game more than I do. So I was extremely happy that they got him back for three years and on a very extremely team-friendly deal nonetheless. Oh, like, yes. you, you mentioned those incentives. Like, those are just, like, slightly above uh, the – games and games played and minutes benchmark that he hit last year so essentially if he is as healthy as he was this year he'll be reaching those going forward uh, i mean but to get him on such a team-friendly deal too like the uh, de-escalating value so he's getting paid more this year and the year after that and then he i think he's only making like 14 million dollars in his contract year which is going to be after Lamelo's extension kicks in so he's giving you that much more wiggle room with the salary cap right there to fit other pieces in around them uh, just like completely very well done from the Hornets perspective all around. I mean, I definitely started to lose faith towards the middle of the summer that it was going to happen. Uh, I certainly would have bet like the day before or the morning that he signed, if you would ha had to give me two options, like PJ is going to sign the qualifying offer or PJ is going to sign a three year, $16 million average annual value extension. I definitely would have bet on the qualifying offer. So I'm glad that, you know, the Hornets held out, and got a value or got him at the value that they felt was appropriate. And I'm also glad that PJ was willing to, you know, maybe negotiate down from where he started and just to stay in Charlotte because he's definitely in that press conference. It seemed like he's very excited to continue being a part of what the team is building here. Yeah, I'm just relieved. Um, I think both sides have come to a compromise from the reported figures. You know, the reports was PJ wanted 20 million, Charlotte Hornets wanted MLE money. This is, you know, maybe a little bit more leaning towards where the team valued him, maybe more than that, uh, the, the kind of 20 million that was was reported. Um, I mean, that was purely being used for leverage. I didn't think 20 million was ever really going to be a realistic uh, salary. And, and I, I think even his agents probably knew that 20 million was hopeful. But I get that you leak that to the media and you try and set a market. But um, I, I remember I tweeted out that I just wasn't really very nervous about the PJ Washington situation. And, and, even though this had gone on into August, I, I still wasn't really. Um, and I want to say that the Charlotte Hornets and myself took a lot of criticism for maybe having that point of view. You know, the amount of podcasts I listen to with people doing off-season outlooks, people freaking out, criticizing the Charlotte Hornets for not paying their guys, having two guys coming back on qualifying offers. And I think people were just like, the way I view the NBA world is you have like a, a glass, right? And everything, every team you look at is like glass half full, glass half empty, or sometimes it's in the middle. The Charlotte Hornets, there's nothing, there's like two drops in the glass. So when anything happens to do with the Charlotte Hornets, everybody has like this warped view of, well, it's going to be like the worst possible outcome of all time. So when he doesn't reach that, you know, when there's an impasse, it's, oh God, it's going to be a disaster. I'm just happy that the, the, the Hornets use the leverage took the time, and like you say, that is an extremely team-friendly deal. Um, finishing at $14.2 which by 
the year that happens, which is, I think, is summer of 2026, that will basically be the mid-level exception. <laughs> and PJ oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the mid-level is a little higher than that by then. Yeah, even. and this is through his prime, right? He's 26 now. He'll be 29-ish when this finishes. So you're getting someone at mid-level exception money through to their prime. Um, the only... I mean, the one thing that does make, because this is declining, is maybe it might make extending him that little bit harder. I think the maximum extension you could do in that final year would be just about 20 million because uh, it's 140% of their last year contract now. Um, and that's part of the new CBA. But even then, like 20 million then might, might still be possible. So I don't think it's impossible to think this isn't an extendable contract as well as a very tradable one as well because of the size, because of the player, because of the skill set that PJ has. So whether you think PJ will be coming off the bench, where do you think he'll be starting? I didn't really see how anyone could not like this deal. No, it's it's really like a positive from all sides. I mean, we had gone over those like disaster scenarios where obviously Miles has already taken the qualifying offer and is going to be an unrestricted free agent this year, though the Hornets will have his bird rights. If PJ had done that again, that would have been a extreme like asset mismanagement scenario for the Hornets losing two of the best players on their team easily the two best players that are you know maybe could still be considered quote-unquote young even though PJ is now 25 on his second contract I think Miles is 24 on his second contract but it's all relative now anyways but I mean if you had lost those two guys your rotation is like decimated and now not only do you have PJ like locked in if you know this team is relatively successful, uh, like in relative to expectations of what people have this year. Like the Hornets are going to have Miles's bird bird rights. They're going to be able to throw on that extra year, extra money. Like now you have at, already have fifty percent of that front court rotation locked down. Half of the problems or that half of your worries are already up by the wayside. I mean, you, they really made themselves have to do a lot less work going forward. Not to mention, like right now, in retaining a player for this season. So. It's very, very well done. I, I don't think anybody could, you know, be down on this deal at all. Well, I have seen some fans and and analysts criticizing for it not being a four-year deal. That I, I kind of understand that honestly. I would I would have preferred that, but I mean, I mean, who knows if PJ and his camp wanted that either, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like for me, if if you're like saying this is a bad deal because it wasn't a four-year deal, then I just don't think you'll ever find happiness in life. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can't you can't have every little thing. Like no, you could like, have nothing, but you got something. So you gotta if take If you can't that see why a three-year deal works for both teams, then right. I'm sorry, you just don't get it. Right. Yeah. You, you're you're living in a fantasy world. So I, I can understand, like, like you say, you're the bit one of the biggest PJ fans around. If you had option, yeah, I would have preferred a four-year. I get that. But people being like, oh, they only got him for three years. Let's come down here. Like, we, we just talked about it's a three-year deal for a, you know, he's not a, a an obvious core foundational piece. He's a complementary player to your core in, in any situation. And I, I don't think you have to worry about a fourth year. Like we say, it's extendable. Like you say, we'll have bird rights. There might be more clarity after next summer with Miles Bridges, if he's going to be long-term starter or not. So, uh, yeah, just enjoy that the Hornets actually got in free agency a, a team-friendly deal. It is not something that happens very often. I think in our last kind of off-season takeover, I think we we talked about a three-year deal, maybe around 18 million, I think it was, and it had like various performance incentives. So we were slightly higher than this in that kind of exercise that we did. 
So this is below what I thought maybe they were going to kind of come to an agreement to. Um, and, and overall, I'm just, I'm just really happy that he's back on the team. I immediately, as this happened, threw a big bet on the Hornets over win total because uh, I just think, I think I got a, at 30.5 wins, which I just think we'll get onto this later. Um, I just think it's a very, very easy over personally. Um, but I, the other thing we've not talked about it too much, what do you think is treated Washington uh, as PJ Washington as the, like a, a trade package now? I, I, I know he's just resigned. I know I want to get freaked out, but talking about the type of player he is, the size of salary, that's going to be pretty useful, right? Yeah, definitely more valuable than he has been in the past couple of years with that extension coming up. Because, I mean, teams can look at that. And, I mean, we looked at that thinking he might get, you know, 18 to $20 million like that. I think the report, like, must have been over a year ago at this point, was that he wanted a contract that was very similar to what Keldon Johnson got from the Spurs. I mean, if you're another team in the league, why would you want to trade for a player that's kind of expecting that? and then have to give it to them yourself. Like you'd at least would want to see the team that drafted them, like how they value them and what kind of contract that they got from them. And now that it's, you know, this type of contract that literally could be like a at MLE value or even below it by the time that it's over, like that is an extremely tradable deal that other teams are going to be much more inclined to take on now than they would have, you know, last season when he was going into his contract year or even the year before that. Yeah. Uh, when he was still in his second year in the league. Yeah, I mean, and let's say, you know, a team can just fit him into their, you know, space available. The fact that that declines makes it so much easier if it's on a contender where it's got like a decline, like where they're approaching the luxury tax or they're trying to dip. This this makes life easier again. So this is something that the Charlotte Hornets haven't always done. I know it's things like, well, it's easy. Why not make it declining? I know when they signed Nick Batum to that extension, one of the big criticisms at the time, this was even before he'd, you know, his level of play drop was... They're already over the cap. Why didn't they just put him on a, you know, a, a contract which is de-escalating? And that was a big criticism that they didn't do. And that was a different front office. And I'm just glad that this front office has, has chosen to do that. Um, I mean, overall, I, I think we have to give ourselves, now that the offseason looks pretty clear, I think we have to give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back. And we, we don't often do this, but I we spoke in our free agency preview we talked about how we think Kelly Uber is definitely gone. We talked about how more likely than most Hornets fans, we thought Dennis Smith Jr. might also be gone. We said that we think Bridges will definitely be back and that PJ is maybe less likely to be back than Bridges, but also more likely than not, which if you look at how the offseason kind of played out, that was the way it's gone. And we even talked about a Grant Williams-PJ Washington signing trade, which at one point was rumored that was being explored. So... I know like people looking at this offseason going, well, the Hornets didn't do anything. But if you, you know, paid attention to some of the comments that the front office have made, like read the tea leaves, looked at the salaries, look at last year, this has played out now pretty much exactly how we thought it was going to do. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, and if you really think about it, you could definitely frame it through the lens of, you know, the Hornets didn't have an active offseason. And, and at many points, like, oh, I, I thought that myself, and I'm sure many other people have thought that too. But, like, if you think about it, the only thing they didn't do was just make, like, a big trade, or really any trade at all, other than swapping 39 and 34 for 31 in the draft. 
but I mean, like they signed LaMelo to a five-year max extension. They got Miles Bridges back after he missed last season, albeit on a one-year deal. But nonetheless, you have him back as a full-time rotation member for this year at the minimum. You re-signed P.J. Washington to a three-year deal. You did all you made those trades on draft night. You brought in a bunch of rookies, like undrafted free agents, signed Leaky Black as an undrafted guy for a two-way. Like you have James Najee overseas for the next couple of years now, too, like to potentially come in and fill like a backup center role in a couple of years. They did literally everything except for make like some sort of big blockbuster trade or even like a small trade or something like that, which honestly, like that's okay. Like trades have to trades are a two-way street. Like another team has to be giving you something you want and you're giving them something they want. And, and clearly and Mitch isn't going to like jump off the, the bridge to be able to do that for somebody. And nobody's value is exactly high after last season. No, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, like who, how are you going to trade Cody Martin right now? Like yeah. Nick, Nick Richards, Cody Martin, the only guys with tradable contracts that are not rookies. How are you going to trade them right now? Like you, you really can't. Yeah. I, I think the one thing that some fans have got fed up about is that Charlotte don't use the mid-level exception which is available to them almost every single year and yep. is a way that they could go out and acquire talent. Um, but you have to realize the Charlotte Hornets are not alone in this. It's not like every 29 teams use the mid-level exception, the Charlotte Hornets don't. Uh, there are several teams that don't use it. And if you actually look back at the history of mid-level exception signings, they're just not that great. Um, they, they always seem like kind of big at the time. Oh, the contender is able to spend whatever it is, 12 million or the room exception. It might be 8.5 million. And they never quite have the, like they don't often have that impact. But I, I do understand that some fans will, will want that middle of expe- exception spent, but just look at the guaranteed contracts and look at who is available and who's willing to take that money. Like it's actually a very narrow band of free agents who'd be willing to take that, willing to come to Charlotte, who would have a role, a clear role. That's just not a big list of people. But I, I do have some sympathy for those saying, like, rather than getting Frank Nilkina on a veteran minimum, use the mid-level exception on someone for two years and bring in a more, you know, veteran backcourt member, which could still happen. And we'll get onto that in a little bit. Um, but I do have some sympathy for fans who think that should be the case. I do, I would like this team to start using that mid-level exception where they can to try and, you know, caught some free agents. I completely agree with that. But for where they are as a team right now, I do understand not using it. What type of player that is like a high level rotation player on a win now team or a team that's trying to become a win now team is going to take that MLE from a team like the Hornets as opposed to somebody like, I don't know, like Atlanta or something. Like, I don't even know yep. if they've used it. But like, what, like, just genuinely, there's almost no reason that you would pick the the worst team in the worst situation coming off of a worse year last year with younger players that they're trying to build around also over another team that's you know further along in that competitive you know journey or steps to becoming a competitive team like it's just hard to sign players that are worth the MLE for the MLE when you're in the position like the Hornets are like if the Hornets gave Kelly Oubre the full MLE today People would just be like flaming them on Twitter. Like, oh my God, what are they doing? They're overpaying for a guy that was on the team last year, blah, blah, blah. Like there would be no winning in this scenario for them. So I I understand like not using it because it doesn't count against your cap. So really it's just the team saving like $12 million, which I guess is fine with me. Like, I don't don't know. And, you know, the the teams that have used it this year, like the full, the actual full bit. like There aren't aren't that many. 
signed George Niang for 8.8 .8 million. So that's like not full, but close. Gabe Vincent to the Lakers, 10.5 million. Yeah, sure, but it's the Lakers. You know, like right. we say, it has to take two to tango. It's a competing yeah. team. It's in LA. Uh, the Knicks, Dante DiVincenzo, 11.6. Again, it's New York and they're a contending team. And he's got two of his best teammates in college who play there. Dennis Schroeder to the Raptors. Well, he's going to start as their point guard. So that's for the full 12.4. Um, and after that, you're like Vasily Micic and Sasha Vesenkov who've come over from overseas, and that's it. So there's there's really not that many people. But again, I can understand the frustration because it isn't just this year. It's going back a little bit of time now where they've, they've not really used that. Um should we move on to his press conference, PJ Washington's press conference? One of the uh, one of the benefits of our technical difficulties is we were able to record after the press conference. And I thought there were some interesting things in there. Um, we have to start with Mitch Kupchak, who just <laughs> freaking delivered the best one-line moment of his entire tenure. I, I'm so used to sleepwalking through these press conferences where you just have like PR talk and everyone says everything that they should say. And like, you're struggling to get really anything of interest out and then mitch kupchak's having a swig of his fizzy water and he stops drinking his water to make this comment and just everyone's heard it by now i presume just interjects to pj washington when pj's saying i'm you know i'm so happy to be back in charlotte i've always wanted to be here he was like that's not what agent was saying that they didn't say that at all and i laughed so hard i was driving in the car and i just was playing it through my car speakers and I was just burst into laughter. I couldn't believe he did it. It was like someone took over Mitch Kupchak, who like was, runs podcasts and just took him over and said what they really thought for, for 30 seconds. It was great. Yeah, completely unfiltered thoughts. That was... Yes. I was completely unexpected, too. And I think PJ was extremely... <laughs> I mean, it was good that he, he obviously found it very funny because he yeah. just started cracking up and like it took him a minute to like regather himself to be able to give a concise answer, but... I mean, that was so unexpected. Like, I, I don't think PJ was – he must have been like, who is this guy sitting next to me? And where did Mitch go? Like, what, <laughs> what is happening right now? He was like, I thought I was just going to be sitting up here giving the, the cookie-cutter athlete that just signed a new contract extension answers, and yeah. then I'd be off in five minutes. Which he did, which PJ Washington did very well, oh, by the way. P he, he PJ did. almost said nothing of note. He just said all, no, the, yeah. all the classics. I always wanted to be here. I'm just focusing on my game. Role doesn't matter to me, you know, ticking all the boxes. But yeah, that one, that one caught PJ off guard. And I wonder if that's like an insight into like Mitch's personality, which we don't always get to see. And maybe, maybe he has that kind of like dour one-liner style. And we just don't get to see that a little bit because like, and I don't blame you, right? You're speaking to the media, you're on guard. You don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, but I think it's nice that like everyone was able to laugh and find that funny. Um, I just think it was a it was a nice moment and a funny moment, and I will always remember that moment. I think for like probably one of the, the funniest interview moments in Charlotte Hornets history. Um, was was there anything else that stood out to you from the uh, the PJ presser and uh, any of the quotes that came out of that? Uh, well, I thought it was funny that he said like we expect to sign some Exhibit Ten players in the coming days, and then he did it like three hours later. I thought that was very funny, but I mean. Yeah. Much less of a significant note, obviously, than most of the other things they were talking about there. But yeah, they, and they, were they all, did all sign guys four exhibit 10 players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was uh, Nathan Mensah from the Hornets Summer League squad, um, uh, Allegri, 
Uh, Angelo Allegri, yeah. Angelo Allegri. Um, who are the other four? Jalen Sims. Jalen Sims and Trey year. Scott. Yeah, but yeah, and Sims Scott and Scott well. were both with Greensboro last year. Everyone was on the yeah. summer league team. Very. Mens is the only new new already. addition, really, wasn't he? Like. Um, yeah, so, yeah, and uh, Allegri is a. They were, I, but Mensa and Allegri were like post draft undrafted signings. Yeah. So we've known since June that they were going to be E10s with the Hornets, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, and nothing groundbreaking and shocking. I don't really think those moves are really worth diving into too much. Um, nothing stands out of note, really. They're just kind of classic exhibit 10 players. Who the team obviously liked having in summer league, and they they want to have back again. They must have been so impressed with their you know contribution to winning basketball at summer league this year. Um, yeah, it was an, an extremely successful product that was on the absolutely. floor, game in and game out. Yeah, um, I mean there was there was one or two quotes that kind of stood out to me. Um, interestingly, I thought Mitch was asked about like the roster composition, and after telling everyone in the room that there you know there are fifteen spots in an NBA roster, which Everyone in the room pretty much already knew, Mitch. But I, I love that you keep explaining basic parts of NBA basketball to everybody. Never change. Um, this was his quote. We do have that 15th spot still that we are going to leave open for training camp. Or if there's someone that comes along in the next three to four weeks, we have flexibility for a 15th player. Now, you might be listening to that going, do we have a 15th spot available? And the reason you think is that Frank Nilakina is technically that 15th spot. Like He is actually currently signed to a non-guaranteed deal, but he is signed. So it's not like the Charlotte Hornets have 14 players signed. They just have 15 with one person who is unguaranteed. And Nilakina did sign, did have the hamstring injury, which ruled him out of the World Cup, and we don't have any update on the severity of that. Um, but that does make me think that they aren't exactly... Uh, putting Frank Nilakina's name in pen to be on this roster going forward. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. That was my immediate thought as well. I mean, we've gone over this when we did our, you know, simulated offseason a couple weeks ago. We did. His contract is very much non-guaranteed. I think it's a $200 buyout to release him at any point before like January, I think. So there is, you know, they clearly do not view him as someone who's even close to a lock for making the roster right now. And, it seems like they would be more than fine like if they had another option that they liked better than just cutting ties with him right now yeah. before he really even actually became a Hornet. Like I presume that maybe he's been to the facility working out, stuff like that, but has definitely not I didn't played think he in has, any sort of games he, he or was, scrimmages. He was with France when he got announced in the pre-war of the World Cup, and then he got injured. Yeah, maybe hamstring. he hasn't even been there at and all. And then, then so. I, I don't think he's been – I think he's still in France. I think I've seen on social media that he's still in France. Um, so I don't, I don't think he's even been to the facility yet. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, they're definitely not signing RJ Hunter, right? Like that's not happening. Like, is, I, are they saving that last spot for an RJ Hunter non-guaranteed contract? I don't think so. That was reported. That's, that's like, a great like, point. I think it was reported a lot, like almost a month ago. It's not in the NBA transaction log. So he has not officially signed that contract. They still have that open spot. He has How never How many players been can they bring into training since. camp? So you're allowed to have 21 players on NBA contracts in the offseason, like whether that's uh, at a standard NBA, two-way, or like a non-guaranteed deal. And then you can have, I think, five Exhibit 10 players, and they have four right now. So either they're signing him to an E10, which is I, – I think that's possible, but he is like almost 30. I don't know if he's taking an E10 
right now when he could just go play overseas there's or something. No age, there's no age limit to an E10, is there? Like, I know two-way no. contracts, there's limited experience. E10s can be anyone. Yes, yeah, like Denzel Valentine was 29, and he was an E10 with Boston last year. Okay. So there's there is no limit. So th- that's it really must be the an E10 then, because they've got that, four yeah. players. They've got four players they mentioned, and right. but wouldn't they have signed him one? yesterday if it wasn't an, if it was an E10? That this is what I'm saying. Like yeah. I I don't know. Like it, it was reported by Chris Haynes, who is by all means like a very very reputable reporter. Like outside of Woj and Shams, might be Absolutely. the most reputable reporter. So I'm not saying that he was like wrong or whatever, but maybe it it like fell through and like isn't going to come to to fruition yeah maybe like that and that was part of the reason why he hadn't played as much in the last couple of years was because he had gotten hurt playing overseas so i mean maybe yeah. something like that resurfaced maybe they just kind of determined the situation wasn't right after the hornets you know kind of worked out these e10 signings i don't know i i, I that was where my mind went as well like kind of Fair after point. these e10 signings i was like okay so the offseason roster's filling up like they used for those slots what happened to that R.J. Hunter signing that was reported pro- like over a month ago, probably at this point? It was like yeah. early, late July, early August when they had signed Neil Aquina and quote unquote R.J. Hunter like back to back days, I think. So I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how that goes or if anything surfaces on it at all before camp, because I think the only time we've ever heard anything about it was that one tweet. Yeah, <clears throat> it'll turn, it, yeah, it definitely is something we'll have to keep an eye out for. A um, couple of last things. PJ Washington did a little bit of a, of a media round after Jutani. He spoke to FNZ, spoke to Rod Boone from the Charlotte Observer. Um, there was a couple of interesting quotes, I thought, from in WFNZ. I think he talked about Brandon Miller a little bit, and he mm. talked about how uh, he's really going to turn heads. And I think he specifically used that he's going to fit really well into Steve Clifford's system, which is just always like an interesting thing to say, like, for a, for a veteran to say that about a rookie, just is like really interesting. You don't normally hear that comment. You normally hear that he looks good, he's working hard, he's in the gym. For him to already be like looking at how he fit in the system is, is an interesting one. Um, and then I believe he also said to Rod Boone, he spoke about kind of like his role and basically said that winning is what matters to him and he doesn't mind if he's coming off the bench starting. It's not important to him, which I think is important because if he – wanted to start, then he might not sign this deal because I don't think that's confirmed by any means after the first 10 games. I think he'll have a chance, you know, in those first 10 games to establish his, his role and his position. Um, but I don't think it's confirmed. So, yeah, a couple of other kind of just interesting little quotes from here and there. All right. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, the rotation, what the starting five could like, closing five. You know, we've got time to do that here. Um, it's only early September, September still. So we'll look at the more kind of on the court stuff closer to the time. But next, we're going to move on to talking a little bit about where we think the Charlotte Hornets stack up in the East. But first, before we move on to that, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by allhornets.com, a credential Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com aim is to bring you 360 degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, in-depth analysis, all Hornets covers it all, and nobody does it better. So Chase, I set you the challenge to come up with your set of win over kind of over-unders. The, the over-unders for the Eastern Conference as a total comes to 614.5. And what we have both done has gone away and assigned wins to all those teams which comes to around that 614 number. So it can be 614, 615. 
Um, we know this is not the perfect way to do it, right? I know you ideally you do all 30 teams, but we didn't have time for that. This get, should give us a good guide for how the win allocations could break out and make it a little bit more realistic than just putting our finger in the air and, and just giving out wins here or there. Um, so, Chase, what did, what did you think about this exercise? you enjoy going through it? I had a lot of fun going through it. It definitely helped me like conceptualize the NBA for this upcoming season because, I mean, the Hornets, like with the offseason is now settled in early September. Mo most other teams had done that like a month ago. So the dust is pretty much completely settled across the league. Really the only thing that could maybe happen is a Damian Lillard trade. Or other than that, we're rolling into training camp pretty much as is around the league. But this definitely helped me you know, realize like what team, where I think teams are going to be landing in like the hierarchy of the East, which teams, you know, may be going up or down based off of where they finished last year. So I had, I had a lot of fun going through this year. Helps me determine who I think are going to be, you know, the main competitors this year. Yeah. And what we decided to do, we split it into four tiers. All right. So we've got our contenders, our play, you know, contenders basically being teams that will finish, we think in the playoffs, uh, maybe that's a better label for it. Our, our playoff team, so top six seeds. Um, then we've got our play-in contenders, um, teams who we think are probably going to finish in that six to ten range. Then we've got our lottery teams, ones who will finish outside of that play-in tournament. And then we've just got the rebuilders, who are not even trying to win and are essentially just run, playing the season for next year's draft. So there are four tiers of teams um let's start with our let's let's work our way down shall we um let's start from the top so this is our our playoff who teams that we think will almost be a lock to finish in our on our top six and there doesn't need to be six teams because this is a who we feel most confident is going to finish in those playoff spots and i'll start we i have five teams here how big is your tier one exactly five teams so same okay. same wavelength to start let's let's see if we match up here i have got Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Miami, and Philadelphia. We do not match up for teams. Uh, okay. we, I swapped in New York for Miami, but the same the same four other than that. Interesting. So, yeah, those four are four. We're matching up perfectly. Um, curious, run through your wins maybe for the, for the four that we have agreed on. So uh, I'll take out Miami and you can take out New York. What are you what are your win projections here for the Celtics, Bucks, Cavaliers, 76ers? So for the Celtics, the over and under for their win total this year is 54 and a half, uh, the highest in the East. I went over on that one. I'm probably gonna give them 57 wins. I think they're gonna be a very good regular season team, maybe even a really good like NBA finals level team. Milwaukee, 52 and a half. I went over just slightly, 53 wins. Uh, I don't love their depth very much. Uh, but obviously the star power on their team is better than basically any team in the league. Um, and I actually think sneakily Adrian Griffin, um, like teams not really knowing anything about his style and tendencies due to not really being like a lead assistant type or like ever having head coach experience could give him like a, like a Joe Missoula esque like hot start uh, that Boston had last year, just kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, and then Cleveland was at 50 and a half. I went over for them as well. 52 wins. I think the top of the East this year, is going to be like really, really good, especially in the regular season. Uh, and then for New York, their over-under was 46 and a half. I went very slightly over with 47 right there. I, I think they're another team that's very deep 
it's going to be a very good regular season threat when a lot of a lot of games against like fellow good teams kind of like they did last year honestly what about you james where are we at for the our decided yeah, top I, four here and we're going to run through this quickly because we want to talk we want to really focus here on where we think the charlotte hornets are going to stack up in the in the eastern conference but i went boston over 55 wins milwaukee over 54 wins i went cleveland over 51 wins and I went 76ers slightly under at 49.5 wins. Uh, that's obviously a bit of a weird one because who knows what's going to happen with James Harden here. Um, but yeah, so you've got uh, New York in that group. So that means Miami is in your playing group and I have yes. New York in my playing group. Um, and I will say, Chase, in my playing group, I'll add with New York, the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, the Indiana Pacers, <laughs> And Chase, I'm saying the Charlotte Hornets. They are in my playing next tier. Um, so I want to see if you've got them in that same tier here, if you're going uh, down in the lottery. Oh, no, I, d- I definitely do. I think maybe my my hottest, I don't know if it's a take, but my hottest like positioning of these teams is having the Hornets and Heat only separated by four wins uh, this wow. next upcoming season. So. I think this is probably my strongest stance. Not, not Are you even assuming the Lillard deal doesn't get done then? Is that yes. kind of what you're thinking? Yes, I, and I actually do think that it's like, it, that might take till the trade deadline, if not next offseason. Because when is the Miami offer going to get better? And they've well, lost like, Vincent, they've lost Struce. Right. They, you they've know, gotten they've lost decidedly worse since the NBA Finals. And like, you can, you know, fall on one side of the fence or the other with this, basically. You think Miami is just a team that, you know, steps up in the playoffs, rises to the occasion, plays better under pressure, or you think that, you know, the absolute nuclear three-point shooting that they had against Milwaukee and Boston is not real, and the, you know, poor three-point shooting performance they had against the Knicks, which they kind of squeaked out that series, and then when they got whacked in the finals, like, that, I lean more towards that being the real version of Miami's offense. I'm not a huge Jimmy Jimmy Butler as your number one option guy. Bam Adebayo, I think, is arguably, I think, the best player on that team, but they don't utilize him on offense in the way that I think he should. Their offense was bad last year. It's probably not getting any better, losing Struess and Vincent, uh, not really replacing them with anybody yet. But, I mean, obviously this would all be completely void if they traded for Damian Lillard, but their offer is not getting any better, and Portland doesn't seem intent on just giving him to Miami. Yeah. So I mean, I, you see, I, I kind of factored in that it'll happen, and that's why I've yeah. got Miami up at fifty-one wins. Um, I think they'll go over. Uh, I think, yeah, I ju- I just think this is almost like a call for Eric Spolstra. I just think he's such a good coach, and even though they lost players, and if they do get a little deal, I think they'll be a, a really dangerous team. And I think they they have to start treating regular season with some respect. I I think this might be the year that they start to do that. I I. Is a hard road, you know, having to play really good teams every single round of the playoffs like they've had to do the last couple of years. So, Chase, give us the rest of your your next tier here. All right. So for my, you know, play-in slash playoff caliber teams, uh, Atlanta leads that group for me. Uh, I'm going to go over on their 42.5 win total. I'll give them 44. Uh, I mean, I, I think the 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 sail or the, the ship has swung way too far on on trey young i did not use the the correct analogy for that at all but everyone gets what i'm saying he people are way too down on his ability i think like some people have him as like a like barely a top 25 or 30 player in the nba like the dude is is like a basically like a walking playoff berth just with his how good he is offensively so i think he's going to do that for atlanta as well 
And they're going to be an interesting team this year without John Collins, like seeing how the younger players kind of fill that void. Uh, and then after them is Miami. I'm going to go under for them. Uh, 48 and a half wins. I'll give them 44. Uh, and then Indiana is 38 and a half wins. I'll go slightly over. I'm going to give them 39. Uh, I think Indiana is like, they have so many ball handling and playmaking options. I yeah. desperately want the Hornets to trade for TJ McConnell. If not like right now, like before training camp starts, then by like the deadline or something like that. I think he would be such a good, you know, like veteran leader, backup be great guard fit. fit. It'd be, they've got Nembhard, so they've got Halliburton. Bruce uh, Brown, got... Buddy Heald, Benedict Mather. Like, they have so yeah. many ball handlers. Jared Walker can handle and pass the ball yeah. really well. Like, yeah. Like, cr- crazy he'd be, depth. He'd be a, a guy who makes a lot of sense. I, I I, just don't feel like Charlotte want to do that at the minute. But I, I agree with you. Like, if, if he was on the market at some point, maybe they're just, like, not taking calls. They want to see what this team does. I think they like him as, like, a locker room guy, too. But if, if they take calls at some point, if they fall out of the playoff race and they're looking to cash in, I, th- I think he makes some sense. Yeah, I would be all over that. But then finishing that tier, I have Charlotte, our Charlotte Hornets. The over-under, I think now it's 31 and a half. After yeah. the last, I guess PJ is worth one win. So now it's 31 <laughs> and a half. Uh, clearly going over on that. I have them at 40 wins this year. I wow. Mean, I, I think I'm much closer to the people that are eight and a half know, like, wins over. You're going eight and a half yeah. wins over. Hey, okay. and but, but some of these other teams here, I'm going like way under. So it kind of balances out um, like the teams below the that I have below the Hornets here. But I think I lean closer to the people that believe in this team. The, the, the above 500 team from two seasons ago is basically the same roster, but just with players that we're on that team have now developed and they've also added a couple of new pieces since then. I think I, I I'm pretty confident in the team, you know, restoring some of that energy and success. And I oh, think yeah. Steve Clifford, Steve Clifford's defense is only going to help with that. Cause that season they were a great offense, but like a putrid defense at many points. So I think balancing that out a little bit, it's not, it's not going to hurt. Like I think a lot of people, both Hornets fans and from the outside view Steve Clifford as something that's like holding this team back. But I don't really think that's the case like at all. They were a number six defense in the team or in the league from Valentine's Day onward last year. They were top 10 in pace on the entire season. So obviously like he's not, he's not instilling what we used to be, or it maybe even still is his basketball philosophy is like slow down. Don't turn the ball over, take care, win the possession battle, like all that kind of stuff. He wasn't really doing that. Like, and I don't think that the pace from last year when LaMelo played 36 games is going to slow down next year when hopefully he's playing 70, 75, yeah. whatever. So I, I think he, it, it's going to be like even more like cohesive, I guess, uh, as an on-court product than it was two years ago. It's just the other teams in the East have gotten way better. So that's where that comes in, like knocking some wins off. But I, uh, yeah, I think they're going to be, a, if not like a 40 win team, like very, very close to it this year. So I, I think using, you? Yeah, I think the defense being good after Valentine's Day is is a promising sign. At the same time, there's like part of me where I'm like, any stat from last year, I almost just throw out when like analyzing this team going forward. Because like, yeah, but who was playing? How healthy were they when they were playing? Uh, what was the situation? It's it's so messy, and that's why I think like Steve Clifford. I think last year, I thought. We, we talked about if Steve Clifford had a, a down, like if this team weren't good last year, fans would revolt on Steve Clifford early and quickly because mm-hmm. of the nature of how he was hired. And they didn't. I think one, because I think a lot of fans could see, well, actually it wasn't really his fault because of the injuries. But 
I think the other thing is you listen to the quotes from the players, especially at the start of the year. Like you, you hear some after this, like the wins against the Warriors. There was a, a lot of praise for Steve Clifford. And I think, you know, when judging a coach, what your players say about you is a great measuring stick of how you're doing, irrelevant of wins and losses, which have a bunch of things that are outside of your control. And the impression I got last year was that the players were really happy with Steve Clifford for the most part. So, yeah, I, I'm not knocking them down at all for that. I don't think he's restricting anything. Um, does that mean that – where do you have Charlotte finishing then in the East in that tier? Oh, see, this was tough for me. I couldn't really, you know, order them numerically. Um, I, I, but in that, you know, playoff caliber team – or playoff caliber tier, which is probably like 6 through 12, I would say – Oof, they're probably like eight, nine, eight through ten. I would say is probably their landing range. I think below that would be a maybe not a failure, but a disappointment. I think above that would be an extreme success, like slight overachievement, if they finished yeah. in like the top six or seven this year. But that so, eight to ten range is the sweet spot. I have Charlotte at the bottom of this tier, so I have Atlanta over forty-five wins. I'm I'm with you on Atlanta. I think they're being a little bit undervalued. I think big fan of Quinn Snyder, the coaching job he's going to do. And I think that'll be like the biggest thing for me. It's just having Quinn Snyder being able to put a system into that team. I don't think they've been a well-coached team really in the last few years. Um, I have the Knicks slightly under at 45 wins, joint with Atlanta on seventh in the East. Eighth, I have the Bulls. I think I realized I'm bullish on the Bulls. Um, and I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> 42 wins. Uh, the over under is 37.5. Now, I know the argument against is, well, they had really good health last year for Levine, DeRozan, and Vooch, and they're probably not going to have that level of health again, and they didn't get that many wins. But I just think you factor in some of the, the better play from some of the young players. You talk about uh, adding some point guard depth this offseason with Jevon Carter. I kind of like that sneaky signing. And I also just think last year they were, like, in a weird funk. And... I just have like more belief that this is their, they talked about it. This is their last go is that core. And I think they're really going to go all out for this season. They know there's no waiting for Lonzo. They know exactly what the situation is with him. He's basically going to be out. Um, and I think they're going to have a better year, but still only finishing eighth in the East. Um, then next I do have the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I have them at 39 wins, a slight over for the 38.5. And then I have Charlotte finishing 10th in the East with 38 wins, which before you call me a hater, people, this is still whatever it is, like six, 6.5 wins over their over-under, which is the biggest uh, change on my entire board, apart from one team from the over-under in my predicted record. So don't quit calling me a hater, but I have them finishing 10th in the East. Um, I think there will be a, a high 30s win team. And I would say that's the median outcome. I wouldn't even say I'm looking at this glass half full. Like if I want to say that things really hit and really go right, I think they could be in the top end of that play, those playing spots in that 7-8 area. That's if things hit and go well and they get good health. But I think even if they just have like a better season, I can't see them finishing with less than 35 wins. I just think that's um, – I would be shocked. I would have like the win over under if I was Vegas, like – somewhere around the Orlando Magic at like 36.5. And I love that they haven't because I've put, you know, three figures on that, <laughs> on the over. Um, but yeah, I do have them in that play in tier, which I think, by the way, like Hornets fans maybe have the same glass half full approach. The white rest of the NBA 
has Charlotte like projected probably between Detroit and the Orlando Magic or something in that range. They don't even think they'll be anywhere near the playing tournament. So, uh, you know, get ready to hear the disrespect because with the over-under podcast you've got coming out soon, I, I don't know, maybe they'll be in on the over-under, but the NBA as a whole is certainly not in on the Charlotte Hornets. They, they have the third worst over-under in the whole of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, the the league, everybody that is, it is definitely Charlotte Hornets versus the world right now. If you are a Charlotte Hornets where we fan, want to be. Exactly. It's it, We're used to it at this point, so I, I'm totally fine with it. I mean, if they are good, it's going to be very, very similar to two years ago when they were top four in January and everybody was kind of like, what is going on? Like, why are they eight games over 500? Like, what are we doing here? But it seems like for the rest of this, this play-in tier, like I, I'm kind of with you. Charlotte in that 8-9 range going over. Uh, Atlanta, Miami uh, near the top of it. But then I, I, I think we're the opposite because I do not believe in Chicago, but I really believe in Indiana. So I think we might have flip-flopped there a little bit. Well, the I think no, thing... we have the same win projection for Indiana. I have 39, and so do you, right? That is true. but my, Well, I guess that's probably true. But my Chicago, I have them at 33 wins for 37 and a half. So Ooh. I feel like so I, for me – Toronto and Chicago, this is the year where everything kind of resets for those. I agree with teams, Toronto. I, think. I, I have the same thing. I think this is something we've got to give. They can't just keep trotting along right. in this weird, weird position. And I think they're going to go full rebuild. That's why I, I have yeah. Toronto. I think I have them down to 30 wins. They're over under 35.5. And I have them at the bottom of my next tier. I have them finishing basically 13th in the Eastern Conference, which is. I don't know, probably probably something that you're not going to see that around, but I just think it's going to be time. I can't see Masai settling for this anymore. No, and like they're they're both in very similar situations. Like they have almost no notable offseason additions. Like the obviously the Raptors signed they got like Dennis Schroeder, which is and the Bulls got Javon Carter. But, like, if you're a team that was in that same, like, play-in, borderline playoff team range last year, or in the Bulls' case, like, knocked out of the play-in, you can't reasonably justify even not only improving, but really even staying in the same place as you were last year, like, making those kinds of additions. Like, from a team like the, the Hornets, who were not winning before, and their whole team was, like, injured, everybody's young, now they're getting a couple guys back, and they're healthy, and they're ready to go. Like, it's not the case with Toronto and Chicago. Like, all of their players are mostly old for the most part, except for like Scotty Barnes and Patrick Williams. Like, oh, they want to be traded, <laughs> right? Or they want to be traded. They're already like high salary guys, like like Gary Trent Jr. or Alex Caruso. Like all these guys have already gotten paid. So like, it's it's just a they don't have anything to like look forward to. Like everything is already right there, and it's like okay we already saw what happens with everything in front of us. And now we're just, I guess, just going to do it again in a slightly better East with like a Orlando, Detroit, Charlotte teams that are trying way harder to win games than they were last year. I, I, I don't see it at all for like either one of those teams. I think that, and I mean, another team that I think sneaky could join this group is that everything goes sour is Philadelphia, but obviously that there are multiple, I, I step, agree. multiple steps to get there. Yes. Well, like, there's two steps. There's James Harden getting two. traded, and there's Joel Embiid requesting a trade. Right, exactly. <laughs> and those are the but two the, steps. and, and the, that second one is a very big step. But like, yes. if this Harden thing happen. goes sour, it right? Could. Like, I, I, you almost, 
if you're Joel Embiid, you almost have to ask for a trade if they get they trade James Harden and they don't get anything back because you're almost 30. You just won the MVP. Like you got to get going here. Like you can't you can't let Daryl Morey rebuild the team for another three years. So Philadelphia could get there, but yeah, we're definitely in agreement on Toronto and Chicago being the two teams kind of that fall out of that yeah. upper half of I- the conference into the bottom half. So. And the, the other one, it also, I'm guessing in your next tier and oh, mine. True. I mean, I, yes. So I've, I've got Toronto, Orlando, and a Brooklyn my next tier, yes. and the Brooklyn Nets. Who's so I, I forgot about it. them. <laughs> as soon as KD left, I just they fell yeah. off the face of the earth. 37.5, so the same over-under as the Chicago Bulls. But like for me, this, this just team is a holding pattern. It is not an actual basketball team. They have a load of picks from the Harden trade, from the Durant trade. They're stocked up. And don't get me wrong, if they wanted to package those tomorrow for players, you know, they could put together a team which probably is, you know, in that argument for five to eight in the Eastern Conference. They could probably do that really easily. But I thought it was going to happen over summer and it didn't. And now they're just going into the season with like a Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, Nick Claxton. I, 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 just don't know how great they're all like decent players and roles, but I think a lot of those players are going to be asked to do more than what their ideal NBA role is. And I was just looking at their roster. I don't think they're that deep. Both their rookies this year don't foresee to make much of an impact. Um, and if they get like any injuries to like some of those frontline side, if Mikel Bridges misses any time, this could be a terrible team. Now, don't get me wrong. I think long term, I know they're going to be back because they're a New York team with a shed load of picks. But I think this year is like going to be a transition year for them. And I, I just don't see them really being in contention for those playing spots unless they put those assets together to make a deal. It's funny that you mentioned them being like a team full of role players because what I had written down as my like talking point for them in my notes is a team full of fourth options that are led by a second option in Mikhail Bridges, which is like, like that was I, that was the most accurate thing I could yeah, think of to describe them like and I'm I'm I saw a question that was floated on Twitter the other day was is Mikhail Bridges going to be better than Brandon Ingram this season and some people were like I think he already is right now mm. I, I don't I could I can see the reasoning for it I'm not quite there yet with him as like a number one option shot creator I don't really think he's a good enough passer or like pick and roll ball handler creator for that type of thing he's definitely like a good you know, scorer and he can score like one-on-one from multiple different levels, which I think is something we didn't really get to see in Phoenix was him kind of going at guys and working his way into the mid range and mid paint area and getting those kind of like turnaround spin fadeaway jumpers that he had hit a lot with Brooklyn last year and those big scoring performances, but just not a fan of him like leading a team for a full season. And at least in terms of how many wins that that's going to produce. And I mean, that might not be the ba- the worst thing for Brooklyn getting like a reasonably high pick this year on top of all the draft assets that they already have, like a bunch of good veterans on relatively reasonable contracts. Like they got a Nick Claxton extension coming up that could end up being a pretty good deal for them. So, yeah, they're they're definitely in a weird be. place, but it's like it's not a it's not like a bad weird. It's like they're in like a weird place in a good way because they got rid of all of the like bad vibes that came with the KD, Kyrie, and Harden trio that split up over time. Uh, but it didn't end poorly. Like it could have ended a lot worse than it did, I suppose. Like, and they could have a lot less to work with going forward yeah. than they do. So it's definitely not a bad place, but it's just a, in, 
strange. In Bridges' last 26 games in Brooklyn, um, where after he got traded, uh, he averaged 2.8 assists, 1.9 turnovers. So just above positive assisted turnover ratio. But for your best player, that is not great. Yeah. And you're also thinking like you're playing the end of the season there where a lot of the teams you're playing at that point are given up. I mean, look at Charlotte, who they were playing, um, and other teams like that, Houston as well. You're, you're not going up against, I don't think, the same level of defense in those last 26 games as you are going up maybe for the first 50. And I think that's, you know, and you, you're scouting that, still scouting that team a little bit because they have all these new additions and they're a little bit different. So I, I agree with you. Um, Orlando, I think they're a nice young team. I think they've got a good young core. I've only got them finishing two wins behind Charlotte. I think Charlotte got a little bit more NBA experience and a little bit more shooting. And that's why that's why I've just got Charlotte pipping, jumping ahead of them a little bit um, after last year. I, I would think most of the internet will have Orlando Magic being over Charlotte. And I can understand why you would do that. But uh, yeah, we didn't need to go over why. I, I think the Hornets will be better than this Orlando team. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they're definitely going to get the FIBA bump with Paulo playing for Team USA, Franz being, and Moritz, Mo Wagner being good for uh, Team Germany. That's definitely going to help their standing in the public but eye he, because they've been active yeah. all summer. But but he's already sprained an ankle. It's more time right. put on Franz Wagner and Mo Wagner, who are going to be players for them. They've got a, a hard strength of schedule, extremely hard, one of the hardest in the league, and they've got one of the biggest rest disadvantages in the league for their schedule. So when you take into that, their lack of experience as well, um, their lack of shooting, I'm I'm going, yeah, just under for them. And then we don't have to spend too much time. Detroit and Washington, I've got my bottom two teams. I have Detroit at 27 wins. They're over under 28.5. I have Washington at 18 wins. They're over under 24.5. And like, I don't think Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole and Bilal Koulibaly are going to be playing winning basketball. They might put up stats, those first two guys, but I don't think, I remember like when these rubbish teams were rebuilding like OKC and like they, their over-unders were like 20 and a half, something of that nature. And the fact that Washington's is so high really confused me. Yeah, I, I'm with you thinking that there's a chance that this is a sub-21 team. Like, especially if there is one singular injury to like a top three player on their depth chart like this is the perfect tank commander roster with Poole exactly. and Kuzma at the top as like volume scorers that are below average playmakers and yeah. in the case of Jordan Poole anyway a significantly below average defender like there are so many young players on this roster too Tyus Jones is really the only like high level playmaker uh, and really, they could flip yeah, him yeah, and trade is, him for picks. Like, right, that he, he actually happen. is the only high-level player. It's him and DeLon Wright are the only real point guards on the roster. And then Jordan Poole and Denny Avdia is probably, like, your next best player. Like, the depth is just nowhere to be found. Like, Mike Muscala is your, like, spacing five. is really the only, like, bench scorer that you have because you have, like, Bilal Koulibaly like Denny Avdia and DeLon Wright coming off the bench too. There's just nothing coming from this team. Like I've, we're going to do with the Wizards right now, like what most people have done in the past with the Hornets is just be completely disrespectful because they are just – they on paper just look like a very, very poor well, NBA yeah, team, which they is by design, be dis- so, They want right. to be disrespectful, whereas Charlotte, most of the time, that hasn't been the case. Right. They've exactly. actually been trying exactly. to win, and it's been disrespectful. So, um, 
Yeah, but yeah, I think you, so. You have Charlotte in that eight to ten range. I have Charlotte finishing projected tenth in the East. I think if they were to make the play in tournament, that would be a a successful step as a season. Um, we need to learn a lot, right? About can Lamella Ball be that number one option? What can the offense look like with him? Now you've basically got the roster from a few years ago, which is way more experienced, and you have Brandon Miller to add into this wing rotation which is going to be huge, I think, for the Charlotte Hornets team to give them depth, to give them scoring, playmaking, size. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see it. Um, uh, yeah, and all my wins come to 614. Yours will probably come to something similar. Um, yep, yeah, I think 614 as well. I think it's going to be a really interesting season. Um, and the one thing I will say is, and this is some a thought that's been rattling around my head, Charlotte's new ownership group and the front office seem intent on this. Like we kind of, we never go all in, but we don't rebuild and we just kind of build as we go approach. And I want to ask you, Chase, do you think they're trying to thread this impossible needle? Because I just have this worry that the, the teams who are contenders, you know, those playoff teams, they're always asset poor. You look Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Miami, even Atlanta, they've had to throw like multiple first round picks out to be able to be where they are. And, you know, if you look in the West, it's even more so Denver, Memphis, the Kings, Phoenix, the Clippers, Golden State, the Lakers, Minnesota, Dallas, all have sent so much out. And I just don't understand how Charlotte are ever going to quite break into that tier if they're never, if they're always going to be just, you know, oh, we're going to draft our young players, we're going to, you know, keep our first round pick each year. We're going to draft someone. We're going to develop them and they're going to come into our lineup. And I just think that the way the NBA goes now, it's like boom and bust. You're great for a period of time and then you have to rebuild. And I'm just worried that by the time these, you know, teams like Philadelphia and Boston and Milwaukee, by the time they go down and you'd be thinking, okay, here comes Charlotte, the likes of Washington, Detroit, Brooklyn, New York, who've got loads of picks. They could have packaged all their, you know, especially New York and Brooklyn, package all those picks together and they just replace them because they end up going and getting some big star. I just don't know if it's possible to be a player contender while balancing both the future and the present. Yeah, I think up until this summer, that's like a pretty certain yes is that they're they have been trying to do that over the last not even necessarily like a couple of years but really since the team like became the hornets again even like yeah. in the mid 2010s like you could go back that far and say that they've kind of just been treading water in a very similar way each season with the season two years ago kind of being the one exception where it's like okay we're building towards something here and then obviously we know last summer was just a complete train wreck and derailed that whole thing that they had going from that last season even though that ended pretty poorly in the playing game anyway that last season was like we we used the term a million times it was like a reset year this summer was even more of a reset like you can reset on the court which is certainly the most front-facing way to do that as a franchise and the fans see that the most easily but what really like is going to really change how this organization operates was changing who is in charge at the top and we haven't gotten enough you know, time really for them to be able to make those changes because it's only September. They immediately said, like, we're not making any sweeping staff changes in terms of like front office and coaching. 
yet like we're going to come in and give a full season of evaluation and then make changes. But right now, I think that at least the PJ signing gives some hope that they're no longer trying to do that. And they're being like, okay, we have LaMelo locked in like that. That is one step to it, obviously, as well. But that was like a given. Like if you didn't re-sign LaMelo to that rookie max extension, you might as well just move the team to like Vancouver or something like that. There would have been no hope going forward for that. But they did that, obviously. But then they also took the next step of re-signing PJ, which to me that it gives you more hope that they're going to keep doing that in the future. And this summer when they have Miles Bird rights and hopefully for the Hornets sake, he's coming off of a productive season. They can offer him that extra fifth year and more money. If they do that, then I think we are like full steam ahead. Like we can be sure that this new ownership group is going to invest in the team in the way that fans have been hoping for, for, I mean, at, at least the last couple of years, but really since the eighties, like this team has never won a championship. That's what people watch sports for is not even to win, but just to compete. When was the last time the Hornets competed for a championship a long time ago, but now after last season, the train was derailed, but there have been multiple steps taken to put it back on the track. So I think now in on September 7th, 2023 with what has happened up until this moment, I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple months, but right now, I think you can be fairly confident that this new ownership group going forward is going to be one of those all-in teams that's at least trying like to take risks and make creative moves that put you they in have position to be brave to win. That, exactly think, you to have compete to in the risks. NBA. You have you have to be brave. Yes. You have to be, not be worried about if it goes wrong and you end up with egg on your face and you end up with picks that you know. Look at OKC. They traded James Harden away, right? Egg on all over the face, but they ended up having a great run around that um houston were brave by making that trade in the first place to get harden uh, a guy who was a sick man at the time um and just trying to balance it it's just the impossible balancing game and for too long now i think this team has tried to be almost like too patient and i think they need to be bolder but just all the steer the new ownership group gave just did not make me think that was going to be the change in approach at all and I just wonder how long that will last. I do. I, I I think that that could have been maybe talk because it you know meshes with what the current front office has said before, and they don't want to be like, well, now we're going to do this, and all the front office is saying something completely different. We're going to see in the actions of the team. I hope something changes. I hope they become more aggressive. But the, the challenging thing at the minute is, let's say a prime trade target comes on the market. You know, a premier guy. There is no way Charlotte can ever offer anything that competes with New York, Brooklyn, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Utah, Houston, San Antonio. You look at their future draft picks, which is the foundation of any kind of deal when a team wants to rebuild. They've all got multiple four, five to 15 first round picks that they can throw. Charlotte have nothing. They just have one of their own outstanding and nothing coming in. So I don't see these trade opportunities where Charlotte are going to be able to add that big name by a trade. We already know in free agency, that's not really a, going to be a great way to get players, which brings me back to why I think they're so invested in the draft. But at some point you have to, you know, take the plunge like Cleveland did. Cleveland in the exact same situation. They had good young players and they went all in for Donovan Mitchell through all the picks in for, forever. And Yes, that could hurt in seven years' time. But this Cleveland team, I know they were they struggled in the playoffs, but 
I think they're going to be a real contender. And I think they're going to be really good this upcoming season. And at this point, I think the, the team, the fan base would, would enjoy a bold step like that. And I think they should take that approach at some point going forward. They need to be bold. They need to do something to energize and excite. And I don't want them to sit back and be, you know, a little bit too patient again. I agree. Conservatism, like in ownership and in your front office in the NBA, really gets you nowhere. We've seen it time and time again over the last couple of years. Like the, I mean, you mentioned all these other teams having a bunch of first round picks to trade away. Think of the moment when the Hornets traded the 13th overall draft pick and didn't get, or didn't really get any valuable first in return. They got the 27th pick that turned into Nick Smith and a bunch of second rounders. In the moment, that deal looks all right. But as time goes on and you don't use those second rounders to flip into something more valuable, then you're, that's when the, conserva- the conservative like mindset becomes very apparent that it's not helping you anymore. Because if you miss on a whole draft class like you did in 2021, basically, having a bunch of second round picks for you as a team that relies on the draft means much less. But when you can turn those into a different pick, like a first or other seconds that you can trade for another player, then it means something. But they haven't done that. That's the, that's where the you know the disconnect is. But I think in the future that bridge will, or that gap will be bridged a little bit more. I think. So last thing, and I didn't I didn't tease this at the start of the show because this is bonus content for the hardcore listeners who are still listening now after an hour and ten minutes, whatever it is. Um, Chase, I, I'm not normally a big person to speculate, but I just hope Kai Jones is doing okay. Because I've seen some social media stuff recently. Um, and it's it's like, legitimately, if that was one of my friends, if Kai Jones was a friend and I had his number in my phone book, I'd be texting him saying, Kai, are you okay? Because there has been a, a clear behavior change. I think I've seen online. He's online a lot more. And some of the videos, for those who you may not have seen them, these are mostly on Instagram. You can probably find them. I've seen people have started to notice and post them on Twitter now, which is which is kind of why I'm saying something now, because I don't want people to think that I hadn't noticed it. I just, I didn't really want to bring attention to it, but the cat's, the cat's out the bag. Yeah, that's correct. The cat's out the bag now, I think. People are uh, people are beginning to notice. And I just hope whatever is going on, uh, Kai's doing okay. Because, yeah, I'd be I'd be just a little bit concerned for a friend if it, if it was me. Uh, and if it's, if he's absolutely fine, and we are all reading way too much into things that he's posting on social media, then... That's great. Okay. I'd rather be, you know, a little bit too concerned for someone rather than not paying attention at all. I hope that's the case. I hope I'm reading something into nothing. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of this. I didn't tell you about this beforehand, but if is there anything you'd noticed or seen online? No, I mean I saw them actually like right before we had began to record this podcast, and I completely agree. I mean, as long as he's doing all right it's fine because it's really just you know strange internet posts it's not anything like actually harmful but uh yeah. it, it is definitely a change in like tone i guess or his persona on social media from what had been previously which he really didn't post like a ton at all i guess like up until the summer um but i mean he has also been posting a bunch of videos of him like working out at the hornet's gym or by himself yeah taking three-point so. shots I, yeah. like that, that is I, definitely can I, can I give you some advice kai jones uh, kai's already blocked me on twitter so it's fine That's true. Kai, let me give you some advice stop posting 
highlights of you hitting threes in runs in summer in Hornets workout. The coaching staff are never going to let you shoot threes, Kai. I'm just telling you, you know this. You know this because they didn't let you do it really in summer league or greens for last year. They want you to set screens. They want you to defend the pick and roll. They want you to switch. They want you to make quick decisions with the basketball. I just, I like, I, I understand it all feels great when we hit threes. It's fun. I understand it. But I just hope he understands, like, does he definitely get what the team asking for him? I think he does. But then he posts these things and I, I don't know. But please, someone help give him some advice. I want to see, I want to see 10 minutes of Instagram highlights of Kai Jones setting screens and being able to contain the ball and pick and roll. That's what I want. I know that's ridiculous and I know we're never going to get it. But uh, yeah, that's what would give me faith and help kind of refill my uh, my positivity for Kai Jones for this upcoming season. Next weekend, there, by next weekend, there's just going to be a video that drops of him working on like low post drop steps and like box out drills and like just absolutely destroying people with screens. And then we're all just going to forget all about all this and we're going to be like, okay, we're back in. We're back on the train. I hope or, so. Or, I I'm, hope or so. I'm dreaming, but either one. Either one is fine. But there's a lot to cover. For a, for a September episode, there's a lot of news. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, make sure you check out allhornets.com. Give us a review on Apple, a uh, five-star review if you can, and a, and a little review would be nice. We'll happy to read them out on the podcast, and we will catch you next time. See you guys.